Good Good morning and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you would like to support us financially, um, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist. We have some subscription models there. You can also um, do a custom donation uh, section if you'd like to uh, support us in our ministry. Um, but we, and we thank you for those who are already supporting us through Patreon. Um, but today we're going to be talking about um, monotheism for, and polytheism and, and some other concepts surrounding that. Um, we're going to be going through at least some of the video from uh, put out by Daily Wire, um, hosted on their you know their pay platform, Daily Wire Plus, um, and Jordan Peterson put this out as well. Um, he's leading this conversation through the book of Exodus. It's a series, really. They're going through the book of Exodus, them and, and these other alleged biblical scholars or whatever the case might be, um, and talking through um, different themes in the book of Exodus. Uh, one thing that you'll see as you go through this series, we're you know we don't subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. We're just doing this from clips that um, they are posting on YouTube, or that Jordan is posting on YouTube. Um, is there is quite a bit of misapplication of the Book of Exodus uh, to places it shouldn't be. So this is going to be one of those areas where we're going to see uh, plenty of misapplication, and this is an important discussion because. Um, I think because Jordan, uh, I don't know if he actually claims to be a Christian, but he's floating around in those circles and teaching theological doctrines, or trying to anyways, and trying to apply the scriptures as he sees fit. And that's, you know, for someone who uh, we don't believe is a Christian, that's dangerous, obviously, and they shouldn't be doing that. Um, But I think because of Jordan's popularity in conservative circles, and he says, I think, a lot of good things about society from a practical perspective, um, from a theological perspective, I think that makes him very dangerous because he's trying, there's kind of this line that's almost blurred um, between the holy and, and the uh, the secular here because you have an unbeliever who is trying to teach the word of God. Um, so that could easily seep into um, people's minds in a way that they shouldn't. Um, so, we think it's in, you know, we think it's important to talk about this, and especially since this is relating to whether there is one God or there are multiple gods, and that question is raised, and and what does that look like, practically speaking? Um, so you'll see different opinions come up in this video, um, and Jordan kind of leading the charge, and you'll see Prager too, who you know we've been going through his series on the Ten Commandments. Um, so we'll be taking a look at that. Did you want to say something, Sean? I did, yeah. I wanted to read some of the comments from the video to mm. sort of illustrate um, why we're we're concerned about this mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, so here, here are just two comments from the video we're going to play today. Um, I love Jordan Peterson coming up with biblical stories to explain facts. The Bible mm. is a sword, and Jordan Peter or Jordan Peterson knows how to use it. it there's a typo in the original, but uh, that's probably what he meant there. Um, and then we have uh, another comment. I love how Jordan breaks everything down with such logic. He's got Paul's gift, <laughs> um, which obviously our listeners haven't heard the video yet, probably. So they don't know why Dan is laughing. But oh. uh, as we go through this, I-, I hope Christians would listen to this and be a little bit concerned that there are people 
thinking that uh, Jordan Peterson knows how to use the Bible like a sword or he's like Paul there because honestly um, he says a lot of things that are, are true um, at least morally speaking um, mm -hmm. and um, he does know some things about the Bible but it's horribly misapplied and I think we'll probably later get into the fact that he's a union psychologist and, and talk about that so i won't bring is that, that up. how you pronounce it union or, or jung union yeah because it's carl okay it's carl jung carl jung okay yeah yeah um we'll uh we'll probably get into that but his framework for what the bible is is completely different than the christian framework so while he might say things that are correct and things that sound correct um he's got a very different worldview and uh it's um it can be dangerous because you might think he's saying one thing and he's actually saying something different, but we'll get into that. I'm sure. Yep. No, that's, that's very true. It it can be deceptive and I don't think he's yeah. trying to do that. I think no, he really believes no. what he's, he's saying is true, but um, we, you know, we always have to look at these things through the lens of scripture and be objective. We cannot be, you know, why be like, yeah. Oh, Jordan Peterson's a smart guy and he aligns with my worldview. So therefore what he's saying is true. We have to be careful about that kind of thing. Or yeah. we can, you know, we can brush off all these errors that come out. Yeah. I will say um, a lot of it. I don't think he's necessarily being deceptive on, but when he does talk about the one true God, sometimes he knows who the one true God is. We, we yeah. Know, he uh, Romans one yeah. and two. So um, yes, in that regard, yes. I don't. I think he's probably coming up with excuses, but on the whole, I don't necessarily think he's being dishonest. Yeah, no, that's a good point. When we're yeah. talking about from an ultimate perspective, yes, he knows the true God, and he is yeah. suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with that, do you want me to get started with the video there, Dan? Uh, yeah. Just so I just want to mention just a few players at the table oh, that yeah. you see in the video. Um, so we'll see um, Dennis Prager, obviously. Uh, he's going to be talking a little bit. Um, we have Larry Arn from Hillsdale College. Some of you might know him. I subscribe to their uh, free publication, Imprimis. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff that they actually put out um, from a political and sociological perspective. Um, so the president of that college is at the table. Uh, Dr. James Orr of University of Cambridge. Um, he's written on some theological stuff. He's interesting because he's actually written on uh, Thomism and classical theism. So I, I don't know where he falls on that, if it was just more of a historical overview, but he seems to, he swims in that camp a little bit. Um, and then Jonathan Pajot, um, who's into, you know, creating icons for in an Eastern Orthodox context. Um, and so he's very involved in that and uh, Sean and I were just talking, and apparently he's uh, friends with Jordan Peterson. Yeah, they are friends. Yep. So uh, there's the connection there. So this isn't everybody at the table, but I think these are some these are some of the key players and people that will actually be talking primarily in this clip. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and jump in. All right. Just let me know whenever you want to stop. All right. When the Greeks fought each other, they would pray to their own gods. And then they'd have a contest and they'd see whose God was the strongest. Well, there's, it's like that in those, in the, in the old Testament, in the, in the, in the Bible, as we say, but, uh, uh, it's different too, because our God is the only God, right? And that claim that's revolutionary in ancient times. I don't think that claim is being made in the 10 commandments because 
he, when he says there are plenty of gods, the gods are there. You have to read them, read this in light of that. These, this is the God, and these are my people, but I'm still everybody's God, right? Yeah, he's the transcendent God. Mm -hmm. That's and it. And then there are lower gods, you know, like angels and all these other beings. There are exist. lower gods in, re in reality, in the human reality, but they're not really gods. Well, this is, I, there are this things is, that are worse. I, I may stop there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so th there's there's a lot already uh, already yeah. <laughs> already going on there. Um, some of our listeners might be confused. Why are these people even entertaining the idea that there are um, there are other gods? You know, uh, and and Jonathan Pedro coming in saying, "Oh, well, there's there's the transcendent god, but there's lesser gods." Um, and I don't know. Did you want to jump into the the Elohim stuff now, or um, no? That's okay. Yeah, that'll come oh. a little bit later. Um, okay. But I guess he kind of starts off with this. There's almost like this class of gods, right? Pajio yeah. seems to allude to that. There's the transcendent uh, Yahweh, and then there's like this council of gods, if you will, these lower gods who are not transcendent, like the transcendent god. Um, so he clearly doesn't see a distinction between the um, you know, the usage of the exclusive God and the language of other gods, like it could be judges or rulers or, or whatever the case might be. He seems to conflate all of those things together. Yeah, um, we, we will get into why um, in Hebrew sometimes that's the case. But at least from my perspective, for the English word God, right, it has a it has a set meaning that really shouldn't be applied to anybody but the true God. Now. We could use the God in, in the sense of talking about false gods. Like if I say the gods of Greece, doesn't mean I right. think they're real, but I think that uh, they were conceptually real as like the Greeks worship these entities, whether or not they were actually gods is irrelevant. But the English word God, I don't think should be applied um, in the way, like, oh, well, angels, we can just call them gods. You know, that's not the way that the English word works. It's not what's being communicated there is I, what I think is inappropriate. Yeah, it, it's just making a blanket assumption that, yeah, it, it's a translational thing. He's focusing on the English word rather than the underlying language. And we'll talk about shortly, again, what that breaks down to. But he's, he's assuming that because it says God, it must mean deity in every sense. So he starts to break down this kind of category. And then they start talking about henotheism, which... Mm -hmm. um it gets into kind of an interesting discussion but yeah um and then just i guess one one final thing um mm -hmm. the the claim that oh the 10 commandments aren't talking about the exclusivity of god that there's only one god like yeah like <laughs> like you shall have no other gods before me okay um uh, you're not going to make a, a graven image. You're not going to bow down to them and serve them. It's in the context of worship, right? Are we to be giving worship to other other entities? Because if you want to say that angels are gods, um, I can point you to Revelation where the angel, where John goes to bow down before the angel, and the angel's like, no, don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, angels are not supposed to be uh, uh, bowed down to and worship. So I would, um, I, I definitely think that. The, the first and the second commandments are dealing with the exclusivity of the one true God there. And then what if they are actual deities, they should be worshipped in some way, right? They deserve it because of their status. Yet all of that is stripped away in 
the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments is mm -hmm. you worship me. I have a day set aside that you must worship me and do these things. So uh, it, it sounds pretty exclusive to me. Otherwise, God is unjust to take away the glory from someone else who deserves it. Right. And mm -hmm. we know that God is holy and just and he's not going to uh, he's not going to treat others um, yeah. in an unjust way. So uh, just based on that alone, you can say that uh, even in the Ten Commandments, you have this exclusivity of God. He alone is to be worshipped because he deserves it. He alone deserves worship. Nobody else does in that way. So, yeah, I mean, and of course, none of these guys are actually going into the text and mining that stuff out. They're just making all these blanket assumptions. Mm -hmm. And you can see Larry Arn, he's trying to use some kind of analogy of faith here. Like, well, you got to look at this in light of the other thing, right? So yeah. you can see, at least he's trying to keep these guys focused on the text, but they just kind of float up mm -hmm. in the sky somewhere yeah and I'll, I'll just point out at this point um if if what's really trying to be communicated by the first commandment is that there's one primary god and other lesser gods where do you see that in exodus like anywhere right like because you you would think that contextually if that's what's going on like that's what's meant to be communicated we'd have some sort of sign about mm -hmm. that but really, up until the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, all we've seen is that the, the gods of Egypt are nothing because God comes in and, and is able to wreck Egypt um, with the plague specifically targeted towards the Egyptian, specific Egyptian gods and showing that they have no power. You know, where is this henotheism being, of gods, you know? yeah, being communicated? We will get into later uh, one spot that's brought up a lot, but um, uh, in Deuteronomy. But right. um, at least at, at the moment, if, if you're trying to communicate in Exodus, Exodus uh, 20, that there's one primary God um, who's worthy uh, or it, that you're not supposed to have any gods before him. But that's not talking that there's only one God. Then um, where 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 in Genesis, where in Exodus, where in the rest of the Bible? Let's let's broaden the scope all the way out to the entire word of God. Where do you see that? So, yep. Yeah, his point was to show that these were not gods and that he was the only true God. Show Pharaoh who was really in charge here. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, continuing on. It's a contentious point that I've noticed we has been kind of hovering in, in the background. We've not really settled it. Uh, are we committed to the idea that of, of henotheism, the idea that there's, there's a God, God, Yahweh, three, four, the God of Exodus 3.14, is the top god but there are in reality not just in our human reality our human imaginations actual gods or are we say this you is mean in the eyes of the bible in the eyes of god in the eyes of moses all, all, of, in, all of those in some sense so so you okay so i'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make yeah. a brief comment here um like the fact that he's making a distinction between the eyes of God and the eyes of Moses, as if Moses might have written something that was um, not in line exactly with what God said, that uh, really it, uh, lowers what the scriptures actually is, right? Are the scriptures inspired by God or are they the works of Moses that God sort of looks at? It's like, yeah, that's that's good enough there. Um it's it's really a, a lowering of what the uh, the the Bible actually. Yeah, is it just is. a is it just a, a book written by some senile old man, or is this who thought he saw something when he didn't, or or the other way around, or is this men who were carried by the Holy Spirit who were writing under inspiration? 
And that's, yeah, that goes really to the heart of what's being discussed here. And then you see Jeremy or, or I'm sorry, James or uh, bringing out this idea of henotheism, which kind of, I guess, is this class of gods where you, you have kind of one top God or one God that you worship out of a pantheon of gods. And he's kind of bringing out that concept of Yahweh being the top God. And then you have all these other gods who are not just gods in our minds, but gods in reality. Their actual deities are just lower than the, the top God, Yahweh. Um, and, you know, you can see problems with that. That would take away the uniqueness of God. God would now be in a class or a genus with other gods. So he's not, uh, he's not unique. Uh, he's not fully uh, transcendent in that way. He's really just like the other gods. They're just lesser gods than he is. Um, so they try to make a distinction with transcendence, but it, it gets hairy really fast. Yeah, I, I will say that for a lot of them, uh, what I guess I'll call henotheists, um, they do try to make a, a, a distinction. Like Michael Heiser, who's, who's he just died recently, actually, um, was a, a big promoter of this view. And he would go out of his way to say, well, uh, Yahweh is species unique, that he's a completely different class of his own. Um, and there are there are Christian brothers that I would recognize as brothers that do hold that view. Um, but I, I ultimately wouldn't, wouldn't hold the view. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So not not all of them are some of them definitely try to maintain a, a very clear distinction between um, God and the uh, the lesser so-called gods. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. I just, I still don't think it it pans out um, because if you do have some kind of, you put God in some kind of class, that still puts him in a category with everybody else in a way that mm -hmm. shouldn't be. Um, so even if you say that God is somehow in, in a unique genus or in, in a unique species, he's still a species among other gods. You know? So you've created kind of a, I don't know, you've created yeah. this lack of uniqueness that, that the Bible uses of him. And that's, that's a, I think, why there's this exclusivity too, um, because God cannot be compared to anything in this world, except, uh, you know, analogous or analogously. So it's, you know, it, it, it just creates a whole bunch of other problems, I think. But. Yeah, at the very least, specifically with Heiser, his, his language is open to putting a lot of stuff in there that probably should right. be put in there. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'll, I'll continue. Yep. All right. One by one, do you, are, are, it's a very fair question, mm -hmm. but uh, analyzing it. So do we entertain the idea that God himself, the creator of the universe of Genesis 1-1, mm -hmm. believes there are other gods or believes that there are things that people worship and call gods? Well, that, that frames the dilemma. So that's interesting. Um, so Prager, that's actually a really good way to phrase it, because he's he's kind of sort of going back to the text a little bit and saying, well, is this what God thinks about this issue? Um, is this how when we look at the text here, is this what God is bringing out for us? What does God think? And I think that's that's the right place to start. Does God view these so-called gods as real gods or not? Who cares what Moses would have thought? Who cares? What, anyone, what does God think? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a really good place um, to kind of frame the question. No, it, yeah, it's it's exactly the right question because we'll, we'll get into texts where things are called gods, 
And then um, having look, looked into the issue, some people want to say that, okay, well, they're, they must be gods in some sense, but are they really gods or, or is the text just using the word and really they're false gods, right? Because if I want to describe the gods of Greece, right, like I, I use that term, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm communicating that I believe that those were necessarily real entities. You know what right. I mean? So um, it's it's actually the perfect question from the from the standard of God, who is the transcendent absolute. Are they real or not? That's that's the core question there. So I'll definitely give uh, uh, credit to to Prager for that. Yep. Nicely. The, is it the first or the second? Is it henotheism or monotheism? So there are principalities and powers. There are. I think the Bible is monotheistic. That's what I, I'm, I'm totally yeah, with you. Dan. Yeah, I know you. you, you and I know the are, philosophers yeah. of religion make this distinction. Is that but a I'm, I think the biblical yeah, view: that, the Lord right. alone is God. Yeah. And human Calvin's idea: the human heart is a Calvin. forge of idols. Well, the we angels are named gods we in the Bible. Some, by the text, uh, principalities and Princip powers. Yeah. Of Paul. No, I mean, even the word. Yeah, the but words the words some people yeah. believe in. So I'll I'll stop it there. Um, Pajot has a a point, although I think it's it's being over applied here. If that makes sense. Um, let me uh, uh, call this up here real quick. Unfortunately, my notes are out of order in uh, regards to how we actually decided to do this. Um, so the the Hebrew word Elohim, which is normally translated as God, can refer to um, be applied to other beings, although it's not, as far as I can tell, very commonly done so. Uh, it is normally a reference either to false gods or the one true God. Mm -hmm. um, so in this case, I'm quoting from Psalm 8, 4, uh, 4 and 5. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? For he ha for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Um, so here the word angels, the underlying Hebrew word is actually uh, Elohim, um, and uh, we know that uh, rendering it as angels is correct because the New Testament in Hebrews uh, quotes this and uses the Greek word angelos for angels. Um, so it's we have an inspired translation saying it is perfectly appropriate to render Elohim as angels here. Um, so if you want to, I guess there's there's a couple ways that you could uh, you could look at this. Um, you have fallen angels that are masquerading as false gods, and that's why they're called Elohim. Or Elohim can, in certain contexts, be applied to just spiritual beings in general. Um, and there is one other uh, verse I'll bring up to uh, to demonstrate this. This is First uh, Samuel uh, twenty eight verses thirteen and fourteen, and this is where Saul goes to visit the witch uh, at Endor to see mm -hmm. if she uh, she can um, she can communicate with uh, Samuel who's died. Um, so that's that's the context of this, and um, yeah, and in, in the context, uh, she's found out that he's actually King Saul, and she's afraid, but. Um, starting in verse 13, and the king said unto her, be now, be not afraid for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped, stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. 
So here, she's saying that she uh, she saw gods, Elohim, come out of the earth, but um, they're really talking about a man, specifically they, Samuel. So, I mean, maybe it's a little bit risky to take the, the, the Witch of Endor's interpretation of what she's seeing, but it does seem that she's applying it to a man and that maybe in some context it can be, the word can be applied that way. Um, but at the same time, we have very clear statements in the Bible that there is only one God. Um, so I think uh, you at least wanted to quote uh, from Isaiah 46, Dan. Yeah, uh, I have Deuteronomy 4.35 and Isaiah 44.6. So it's Deuteronomy 4.35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none besides him. And then Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last besides me. Uh, there is no God. And it, particularly in Isaiah 44, 6, you have the word Elohim being used here for God. So basically it would read, uh, thus says the Lord, meaning Yahweh, Yahweh or Jehovah is the Redeemer. And he is the first and the last. And besides Yahweh, there is no Elohim. There is no God. So. God is doing it. The word is being used here in the context of deity. So you can refer to deities, right? So when it's talking about pagan gods, it's referring using it in that term as a as a deity. Um, so God is essentially putting himself, um, in, at least logically speaking, putting himself in the category of other gods and saying there is among all the deities that there are, there are no other Elohims. I am the only Elohim. Yahweh is the only Elohim. Um, so I, I think that's a very, um, you know, a very explicit passage. And same with Deuteronomy 435, where you see this, um, you know, this exclusive nature of God. I am the only God. There is no other Elohim. So that that right off the bat eliminates any possibility that, um, you know, a Dagon is a real God or a Baal is a real God, all of which can use uh, Elohim as referred to them in different places in the text, like 1 Samuel 5, 7, referring to Dagon, Elohim is used of him. So God is saying that a God like Dagon, an Elohim like Dagon, is not a true God. I'm the only true God. Yahweh is the only true God. Um, so just doing a cursory, and I didn't have to dig very far to go find this stuff. I mean, this was all information that was readily available online. Um, just a, doing a simple word study can really help to understand what, you know, not to do when you're talking about the text, just because as Pajot's assertion is that, you know, the word, the same word for angel is used for God. And I think he's referring to Elohim um, just because it's used in the same, you know, the same words used in the text for different things doesn't mean it, it has the same meaning. The context determines what that, uh, what that is to mean. And clearly in Isaiah 44, six, you're seeing God is, declaring himself to be God against other gods. And then later on in that same chapter, he talks about the folly of idolatry. He makes fun of those who make idols. Hey, who's this idiot who's going to make, you know, a God out of wood that you're going to cook your food over later? You know, who, who, what idiot would do that? Those are stupid people. They're foolish. Why would you do that? And so you're going to see this contrast between I'm the only Elohim and then those who make Elohims, Right. Those are foolish. I'm the true God. Worship me. Look what I've done. Here's my works to demonstrate that all these other people who worship Elohims or other Elohims are foolish. Um, so it, it, it's just very, very clear from from the text. Um, and Prager will point out, um, I think, very shortly that, you know, the Jews weren't always monotheists. And that's true. 
as we see very clearly in, uh, you know, later on after the land of Canaan is taken, well, even, even earlier than that, we see idolatry, um, you know, with the golden calf, they were making God in their own image and effectively worshiping another God. Um, and then you see them going after Baals and Ashtaros and, and paganism being introduced into, um, you know, Judaism, but all in all, the core theological framework that's given is monotheism. Um, and that's what Christians hold to. And that's what uh, Jews, Orthodox, uh, historical Jews should have held to. So it's, you know, it, the text is very clear on that. So to your Isaiah and Deuteronomy quotes, I'll, I'll add two of my own. Sure. Um, Isaiah 46, 8 and 9. Remember this and show yourself, men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Yep. And then Deuteronomy, also chapter 4, but in this case it's verse 39. Know, for there, know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart, in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. So this is this is clearly demonstrating the exclusivity of God. There is a, a perfectly appropriate sense in which we can say God is God. Nothing else is God. That's that's what the text is clearly saying. Um, so even if we do have occasionally um, and it's not emphasized at all, but occasionally the word Elohim being applied to beings other than the one true God that doesn't necessarily make them gods in the sense that we want to use the English word God. I don't think it's uh, appropriate um, to, to do that. Now, at this point, I'll probably, um, I'll probably uh, talk about um, Deuteronomy 32.8 because a lot, of, um, a lot of where this henotheism comes from is the idea that uh, God took the nations and basically gave uh, angels or um, an, an, another class of, uh, of uh, spiritual being and put them over the nations as their gods. And therefore, it is appropriate to, uh, to uh, call them gods in that, in that, in that sort of sense. Um, so in a lot of modern translations, and I'll quote from the ESV here, you'll have the, the rendering uh, of Deuteronomy 32.8, when the Most High gave up the nations, uh, gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, um, sons of God does often have, um, is often used in reference to uh, angelic beings. Uh, when you see it in Job, and uh, in Job, it's talking about the sons of God rejoicing before the, before the creation began. That would have to imply that they're they're some sort of uh, pre or not pre-existing being like God. God still created them, but they were created before the foundation of the world. Um, I will note that this is not necessarily there's there's a textual difference here. For example, mm -hmm. I'll quote from the KJV, which uh, renders the the Masoretic text. Uh, the Masoretic text has it. Um, this way, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, um, where the where the uh, where sons of God comes from is there's uh, um, when the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, 
one or two, there was a little bit of a uh, contention about whether it was actually two, but at the very least, one of the uh, the fragments of Deuteronomy rendered it as uh, or had sons of God there. Um, and without getting into a whole textual critical issue, um, I will just uh, say that I think sons of Israel just is better contextually in the text. Um, if you look at uh, 32, 8 and 9, um, you do have uh, it's it's a it's a little bit of a, a section there um, because uh, in Hebrew, they both start or the 38 or 32, 8 starts with inheritance. Um, and then 32, 9 in Hebrew ends with the word inheritance. So it's like a little bit of a section of parallel there. Um, and the, the whole section reads when the most high, at least this is the KGB, when the most high divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his lauded uh, is the lot of his inheritance. So you have the parallel um, between Israel and Jacob, which is which is broken if you uh, have sons of God there. Um, but regardless, all that to say, um, this is uh, the only verse that um, I've seen that really brings this out that. Well, God divided up the uh, the nations and assigned uh, deities to them, assigned angels essentially to them who would be their gods. I don't see that being taught anywhere else in the Bible. And I, I certainly would reject it as being the correct text. But even, um, even people of another persuasion, I'd have to imagine they would not want to base the entirety of their, um, uh, their uh, theology off of a, a contended text. I don't know. Uh, do yeah, you have any thoughts about it's yeah. interesting um when i looked at that the niv and the the nasb 1995 use the masoretic reading mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be the esv i didn't check i don't think i checked any other translations besides those uh three i think the obviously the nkjv follows the kjv in that respect but mm -hmm. in terms of modern texts at the end which i would think that they would follow the the more dead sea scrolls one but they didn't they followed the masoretic which I'm fine with that. I, I think that reading, I agree with you. I think that reading better fits, mm -hmm. um, but it seems the ESV kind of took a, a left turn there. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely a couple other modern ones, like maybe the newer NIV renders it that way. But um, mm -hmm. regardless, I, this is the verse I hear brought up all, often um, in these conversations. And I mean, from my perspective, you know, the, the, the community at Qumran, they're already not Orthodox Jews in the sense of they had a lot of weird beliefs. Um, so how much how much weight are you going to put on their, their manuscript <laughs> anyway? Uh, I will note, just in, in fairness, the Septuagint, or at least some manuscripts of the Septuagint, actually have it as angels there, according to the number of the angels or, or something to that effect, so mm. that people will point to, oh, well, clearly this is, a, we should read this as a... a um, a class of supernatural being um and from my perspective i don't know uh, that i i don't weigh weigh uh, the septuagint like that anyway so but i'll, I'll that's a that's another discussion we don't need to get into um professional text confessional text yeah yeah exactly exactly um, i was gonna poke at sean about that uh but you do have fallen angels masquerading as deities or in some sense being related to um uh to certain regions or certain areas for example i'll quote from uh, daniel 10 uh, verse 11 through 13 here and he said unto me O daniel 
uh, man greatly beloved, and this is uh, this is Gabriel. Um, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I came uh, for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So um, it's to me, it's fairly clear that uh, this prince of the kingdom of Persia is some sort of uh, spiritual or supernatural entity because he's able to withstand Gabriel to the point where Michael, also called a, a prince here, um, needs to help Gabriel in order for him to, to pass through. So the the demonic forces, as was brought up in the conversation, sometimes called principalities or powers, um, do have some sort of control, but I don't think it's because God appointed them as like, okay, you're going to be the God of this region and, you know, mm. uh, um, people are going to worship you or whatever. Like that would not be, that would not be correct. That's no. not what I see going on there. Mm -mm. Um, uh, and you do have, uh, other things like, uh, Satan is called the, uh, the, the prince of the world, right? Um, John 12 31 now is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out now is he the prince of the world in the sense that God made him prince of the world or that he by his corruption has um has wormed his way into the hearts of men and now they do his bidding you know um so I like I think there's an issue there with with saying that well these are all the gods of the nations um uh, because God has assigned them to, I mean, in a sense, from the eternal decree, that's true, but not in the sense of formally, officially, like, okay, well, you're the God of this reason, region. Okay, you're the God of that region. I don't think that's uh, that's correct to uh, say. Do you want me to continue? Yep. Go right ahead. All righty. Those things they do today. Reason. No, but the angels that God sends are called gods. By whom? I mean, the, the the angels that are in God's service are you. Sometimes they use the same. I don't. I don't know that that's so in the Hebrew Bible. So I. So I, the only place I can say definitively that that's correct is the Psalm I quoted for Psalm eight, and it doesn't actually say that they're the angels in God's service. It just says He made them a little lower than the Elohim, um, which could be a reference to the angels operating as false gods, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not, I wouldn't be so dogmatic about that. And I'm not aware of any other spot that definitively ties. And I looked, I went through one of Michael Heiser's um, uh, articles and some of the verses he was bringing up is like, uh, I don't, I don't need to read it the way you're reading it. In fact, I, I think it probably shouldn't be read the way you're reading it. So I would not be dogmatic uh, about that at all. Yeah. And the, and the evil one is even kind of, said to be at least a god in the mind of of lost people jesus he kind of alludes to that you're of your father the devil right mm -hmm. this is who you worship this is who you serve you're not serving my father the true god or you would love me right mm -hmm. so there is this there is this concept i think found even in in jesus he's saying you're putting satan in the place where my father should be and where i should be but you're not you're worshiping him instead 
So yeah. that's, that's probably the idea there. And I, and again, to Prager's credit, he's still trying to get people to go back to the text. Oh, the Hebrew Bible doesn't say this. What about this? So he, he's trying. <laughs> yeah. I wish he would do that consistently. <laughs> yeah. To, to expand a little bit more on the whole um, demons operating as God's thing, there are, um, uh, I'll bring up uh, two parts of first Corinthians here. So starting at first Corinthians 10 verses 16 through 21. And this is talking about communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. But Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Uh, you, shall, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot partakes, par, be partakers of the Lord's table, you know, the table of devils. So Paul is saying, well, idols aren't anything, but if there's a sacrifice going on, it is, it is to demons, right? But that doesn't necessarily... Right mean that therefore each god is represented by a particular demon necessarily i don't know that you could make that case um and then just first corinthians 8 so two chapters before and this is four through six as concerning therefore the eating of the things that are uh, offered in sacrifice unto idols we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is none other god but one for though there are there be that are called gods whether in heaven or in earth as there be gods many and lords many. But to us, there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So Paul is explicitly clear. Hey, there aren't, there are things that are called gods, but they're not real gods. So um, it's perfectly appropriate to say that, okay, well, when you're, when the Gentiles sacrifice, in some sense, they're sacrificing to devils, but it's perfectly appropriate to say they're they're only gods in a false sense, not gods in a true sense. Um, so when it comes to the English word God, I would not want to uh, to use it in the sense of like, oh well, yeah, we can call angels gods just as a class. That's that's seems very that seems wrong to me. Yeah, and it's certainly not doing any kind of exegesis. It's just making a no. broad assertion. No, which is part of the, the problem of this this whole thing, right? Like, You're right. <laughs> so they've started talking about Exodus, and but they're not like trying to exegete the text. It's, it's more it's of a like, roundtable discussion. What themes can we pull from this that apply to some random off-topic thing that we want to push in this video? Yeah. All right, well, I'll continue. All right. They're not called gods. The, the, what about the, the, what about the Jews were not always monotheistic. What about the people but, who were sent but, to Abraham? The, the, yeah. So I have a little bit of a concern what he means by that. Because um, oftentimes when I hear the Jews were not originally monotheistic, specifically in like a scholarly context, what they mean is, oh, well, the first uh, couple books of the Bible aren't actually monotheistic. Eventually Judaism became monotheistic, but originally yeah. it was polytheistic, which I want to say something in the Prager series we listened to indicated that he might've believed that, but I'm struggling to remember what it was now. Um, yeah. I don't recall if, if by that all he means is, well, they were idolatrous. Then I'm, I'm 
I'm yep. fine with that. But the scriptures don't teach that. And again, Correct. if you want to say that they do teach that, I'd have to ask you, well, where, you know, like Genesis one, there's nobody else creating aside for God. Um, even the let us make God, uh, let us make man in our image. You know, it's only ever applied to God that, that does the making, right? You can't fit other deities in there. Um, yep. Nowhere else do we see these deities operating, even in, in the Pentateuch, right? Except occasionally when they're called false gods, like in Deuteronomy, like there are no other gods, right. God, you know? Um, I don't, like, if you're trying to say, oh, well, the, the religion is polytheist just because maybe sometimes it doesn't always explicitly affirm that there's one God, Some, sometimes it's just sort of implied, then... I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like you, you always take the clear in light of the unclear. So if you have it clearly in sections saying there's uh, one God, and in other sections it's not even it's not anywhere saying that there's uh, there's other gods. Like you always why would got you, the clear. Yeah. Why would you therefore conclude? Oh well, you know the first couple of books they're actually teaching a polytheism when there are no other gods. Right. <laughs> um, really, it's just a way of undermining the, the authority of. Scripture. It's trying That's to it make is. an argument from silence in a very bad way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ended up being exactly. Really oh, well, it doesn't explicitly say in right, okay. Genesis that there's only one God. Like, I mean, I would say it's applied all over the place, but okay. It doesn't right. explicitly say it, but whatever. As if God needs to explicitly always say it everywhere in order right. for um, all of his word to be consistent with it or whatever. Exactly. Yes, angels. so they were angels. That's correct. Right, but they are they're on this they're on they're this. on a divine mission. Right. So what are Hebrew, they? Hebrew 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 has no word for angel. The, the what's called angel malach is messenger. They're God's messengers. Mm -hmm. That's what angel means. Well, clearly, Elohim yeah. applies there too. If you uh, okay. sorry, what was that? I was just saying clearly Elohim applies there too. But okay. Yeah, like he he's. Well, he, he's just saying this is the Hebrew word for angel and leaves it at that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how discussion, that's not only the case, but I don't know how he would take Psalm eight because the reason why I can definitively say it's appropriate to translate it as uh angel is because the new Testament does it that way. Um, I don't know. Cause again, like it's not common at all that uh, Elohim is even applied to beings aside for God or false gods. So right. I'm not even sure that he's being terribly inconsistent there. You do have the the which it and or that it's being applied to men, but I don't I don't know how he would read that either. So mm. um from my perspective, he's 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 wrong, but I can understand that statement coming from him. Yeah. Yeah. So let no one say that we're not uh we're not uh fair to Dennis Prager when uh when he makes a, a an okay point. Right. <laughs> so, is it in the book of Revelation? You guys will know. Uh, where somebody's going to bow down before emissaries from God. Yep. And the command is, see thou do it not. I am fellow servant. Yep. You see? So, I think this one God, I think that, and see, it doesn't make as much sense of the universe if there are many gods. Right. You know, in, in Aristotle and Plato, they're not many gods, right? I guess, well, then we're faced with a thorny problem under those circumstances is of how we conceptualize transcendent spirits that aren't reflective of the ultimate unity. So what do I mean by that? 
Well, we could take, this is an oversimplification, but we could take a God like Arius, the God of war, say, and I, I, I'll do a biological reading of that. You can be ruled by anger. And you might say, well, well, yeah, but that's not a God. And I say, well, yeah, let's just hold on about that. First of all, it's not only localized in you. It's everywhere. Like the rage in your heart is the same as the rage in your heart and in your heart and in mine. It's maybe the same, or it's a variant on a theme. And it's the same, it's the same force that could rage in an animal. It's tens of millions of years old. It's a pattern of neurological activation, you might say embodied activation, that's transcendent and immortal. And it can certainly rule you. And it has an ambivalent relationship to something that's transcendent, non-biological, because it fleshes out part of the implicate order. And so, like, is rage a god? Is lust a god? Is fear a god? And I mean, those have already always, been, they have been deified in many cultures. You certainly have gods of Eros in, in all sorts of cultures, because the that fundamental motivational force, which is a spirit that abides within, but that's also transcendent, well, they has been... The, yeah, so, yeah. So this is where he starts to get into the yeah uh, uh, union. Uh, pronounce that correctly, Sean. Union. Union um, understandings of psychology. So this this creates problems. Not obviously, it's not biblical. Just off the bat, you hear things that he's trying to personify these emotions essentially um, from a Christian perspective. Deify them. Yeah, deify them, right? Yeah. Personify and, and therefore deify, yeah. And, you know, from a Christian perspective, those are not real things. We believe that those are all, he's talking about sinful traits, lust, anger, uh, I think he said pride too. Those are all things that, or rage and anger. Those are all things really that um, at, ultimately are sinful. Yes, we can, you can be righteously angry, you can be righteously rageful in a, you know, in, in a proper sense, but uh, I think he's talking about just those base emotions that we have. You know, you're angry, I'm angry, everybody's angry. You know, we all have those problems. Um, from a biblical perspective, we see sin as a privation and a corruption. Sin is not a substance. He seems to think that these things actually exist, um, which is why I think he can jump to that point of saying that these are somehow uh, deities or can be deities that, you know, theoretically speaking, they can be. Um so from a Christian perspective, you already have that as being uh, completely excluded. Sin is not a thing, substantially. Sin is a privation of the good where good ought to be. Um, you can see Dolzal has a really good article on this in, in Providence. If you read Turretin's Institutes, um, sin in general and sin in particular, on I think it's the... Uh, I think it's the fourth topic in his in his institutes. You can find that uh, where he talks about this sin as a privation and a corruption. And Thomas Aquinas, he uses as his uh, primary source material there. But you can see this flat contradiction of what sin is biblically. Um, and he's bringing out these union uh, kind of understandings. Um, just a brief summary of what this is. So this, uh, there's a, a summary of a book called Jung on Mythology by Robert A. Steele. And the summary uh, says this, Jung then asserts that the similarities among myths are the results of the projection of the collective rather than the personal unconscious into the world. And Jung was a, he was a student of Freud and he kind of brought out, um, and I think this is actually a place where he diverges from Freud. But it's kind of in that psychology 
uh, in that kind of psychology world. So basically myths, you know, like these different, which could include these different gods that come out in mythology are really an outworking of those collective things that are in humans. And that seems to be what uh, Peterson is, is bringing out here. You're angry, you're rageful, you have lust, I have lust. They're all this collective. And then you see these, you know, deities coming on the scene, these gods of Eros, these gods of whatever the case might be that reflect this collective, uh, you know, this collective emotional state that man finds himself in. So you can see this, and this is ultimately pagan philosophy. I mean, that because again, it, it doesn't comport with scripture at all, but you can see the influence of that upon uh, his thinking. Yeah. So from my understanding, um, you, cause Freud was an atheist, right. And then denied the Bible. Yeah. I think he, he was Jung. Jung didn't agree. He said, no, the Bible has value still. Yeah. But what he thought its value was that it had these archetypical, the stories, uh, demonstrate these archetypical, um, realities about human nature. Right. Um, so, uh, if you listen to Peterson go through uh, in, in any of his, his Bible lectures, this will come out. For example, I remember him talking about Christ and how, like, well, isn't this the the, the archetypical man of, of suffering, right? Like, and this this is a demonstration of how, like, mankind suffers and all that because, look, he's a good man and he goes to the cross. Um, it's like that's not what Christ isn't acting as the archetypical man there. That's no. not what that's about. Um, the archetypical man is sinful. He's perfect. And the reason he goes to the cross is to pay the penalty for my, for, for the yes. sins of the world, you know? Um, so like it, it's, 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 it's really bad, which is why ultimately we, we want to bring this out that Jordan Peterson says a lot of good stuff and he pays a certain respect to the Bible, just like Carl yep. Jung did, you know? Like, oh, well, we shouldn't throw the Bible completely out. It has value. It has spiritual or it has value in there. Um, but that doesn't mean that the value they find in it is reflective of what the Bible actually says about itself. Right. <laughs> um, that's 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 always a problem. You've got to be aware of that. People might pay a certain respect to the Bible, but that doesn't mean that they're paying the respect that it should. It's right. just in light of other people. Maybe they have a little bit more respect for it. Um, so definitely in, in Peterson's case, he'll say good things and then he'll say things like this that, oh, yeah, well, anger can be a God. And you're like, what? Because obviously the Bible nowhere ever even hints at such a concept. No, um, honestly, th it, it, this is more of a pantheistic thing as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Um, the way he's talking here, because he's like, oh, well, you know, it's not localized to one person. It's everywhere. Right. It's which, everywhere. Which, yeah. A, I'd, I'd even contest that it's everywhere because what he named for like people and animals, like, okay, well, that's not everywhere. It's localized to people and animals, but he's trying to get at some sort of a pantheistic concept. Um, but by that logic, like there are so many, if, if you're, if your reasoning is that, well, okay, because it's in a lot of uh, different places, it's therefore like a God. Well, by that case, math is a God. The concept of being is a god uh, because you, we they, we all share these things that are that are everywhere, right? As opposed to the Christian view that these things are a uh, a dim reflection of of the true God, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm angry, it's because I'm made in the image of God, and I share, at least in an analogical sense, the anger with with uh, with God. Or there's anger in God, and I have a, a reflection of that. 
uh, in me being angry. That's why I can be angry and every other human being can be angry because we share that, that attribute or we don't share the attribute, but we have a analogical attribute to God. It's funny. Um, he'll bring out later. They'll talk about demons influencing or how these, they, they try to personify these things like anger and stuff yeah. because of the influence they have on people. So they'll be like, well, you know, they, they influence people. They have this transcendent influence. And so that must give evidence that there's some kind of God or transcendent principality that, yeah. um, you know, that actually exists. Yeah. Well, I mean, sin entered the world, right? So the reason why we might do sinful things is because sin entered the world. Um, so, but that doesn't make sin a God, you know, right. just because something is, uh, and sin doesn't exist as a substance. <laughs> it's a it's a privation of good. That's a corruption of good. That's all it is. So you yeah. can't even get to the substance part, let alone a being that's you know intellectual and personal like a deity. But yeah, and he will go on later uh, to talk about idolatry and how people can make things into gods um, yeah, by becoming enslaved to them, essentially. Um, but that doesn't seem like what he's talking about here. He's talking no. about like anger in of itself. Does anger in of itself have the qualities that would make it a god? So right, that's what um, he's trying to say. And yeah. they will push back the gentleman to his right there from our looking at, or to his left, I should say, is um, we'll push back and be like, well, no, it's it's how we we're making gods. That's what those things are. And Jordan will keep pushing back against that, like, no, 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 no. These actually might be real deities. And he keeps trying, keeps talking about this from a quote biological standpoint. Again, he's coming at this from a naturalistic worldview. Yeah, uh, he certainly doesn't see he sees some kind of transcendence, but not really. Yeah. Biblical sense, I would say. Well, I don't know. No. Well, but then no. Yes and no, because they, they also have a reality. They're right? higher than us. Uh, yes. No. They have a they have a they ex they exist. Sure. Like anger exists in a sense, but that doesn't mean it's a god, you know? Like, right. so, you can turn it into an idol, sure, but that also doesn't make it a god. It right. And that's what they're pushing back against, or at least the gentleman to his left is pushing back on, like, look, there's a difference in making something a god, and there, mm -hmm. there's a difference in actually having existence as a deity. Jordan mm -hmm. conflates those categories. He doesn't see a distinction there. Yeah. Um, but... We are at semantics. I think we're at semantics here. No. So you believe that there are principalities that act upon yeah. us that are beyond human scale, yeah. but you yeah. don't like that we call them gods, let's say. No, we, like, may, you call think that the old gods, we may call them gods, but they're not gods. But they have existence. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Supernatural. Then we're fine. We're we're supernatural. Supernatural. Okay, agree. Okay, agree. Okay. okay, so basically. It's just a word. We just right. don't like uh, the fact that well, we I, use the word God. Then we are agreeing in some sense that we're going to reserve the term God for the unity. That's fine. Of, we can use yeah. principality for and, the other. It's interesting that, that Jordan talks about the unity. It, that's very Aristotelian. <laughs> he, so, well, he's not. It might be the one true God, but it's the unity. There's this one being out there somewhere that we're kind of, it's very Aristotelian. Um, but yeah, you can see this. They're pushing back and forth on, on this. And, and Pajot is trying to say, well, it's just semantics. It's not. It, it's a conceptual difference. Like what, what you say about this God, the true God versus other things is vitally important and changes fundamentally 
mm-hmm. our religion as Christians and changes what our understanding of God's word is. It, it has a cascading effect. So it's not just semantics. It's um, it is a, a fundamental difference. And we do believe that there are principalities and powers. Paul talks about that. Um, but we wouldn't say that like sin is a principality. Again, we've already determined yeah. sin is not a substance. And that seems to be what they're going towards. Um, but even if you want to talk about righteous anger, which would be good and would exist, um, that is still not going to have, you know, some kind of deified, uh, influence on us. That's just part of our nature based on God's grace alone. God, you know, sanctifying his people and, in, in being, uh, more like himself, but that's, that's it. I mean, and that's the only deified influence that we we can say we have. God is making his people more like himself. Um, but not that those things, qua things, things of themselves are, you know, somehow deities influencing us. It's almost like Jordan has the right idea. Again, he's just putting it in the wrong place. Yes, there is a deity who influences us, but not in the sense that you're saying. You're just misapplying the concepts way over here to things that shouldn't be and taking a a pagan psychological philosophy and putting it onto your understanding of the text. Um, but yeah, it's like, they're almost teaching a polytheism where like there are multiple yeah. things that are gods and they're everywhere. And a henotheism too, because he Jordan still seems to agree. There is the unity, this ultimate mm. being, but then there's, you know, anger is this kind of lower um, principality. That's yeah. That's there. <laughs> It's a mess. And I'll, I'll, I'll note with, with uh, Pajot, right? He really wants to, to use the word God. The reason why we don't want to use the word God for these things is because we want to maintain the absolute, that there is only one God, as the Bible says all over the place, right? That we want to preserve the sense in which that word is used, that there is only one God. Nothing else can be rightfully called a God. Except like, okay, well, they're, they're false gods or, or whatever. Right. right. We want to preserve that. Peugeot doesn't seem to have any interest in doing that. It's like, oh, okay, well, if you want me to use the word principality, I'll use the word principality. Like, how about you want to you want to be very clear about the species or the uniqueness of God. Right. right? That that he is the only God. Why, why is that not at the forefront of your mind? Because it's certainly at the forefront of the... Bible's mind. That's why it's repeated over and over and over again in multiple places that he is the only God. Um, so to, to like be loose with the words already, like I'm, I'm not happy with, but it also doesn't seem that he's making the positive case that I would want to, that the other guy is trying to make um, that, uh, you know, that yes, there is only one God and that's the God of the Bible. That's, that's it. Right. Um, it's to cut, co- it's to not cause confusion. It's to make yeah. absolutely certain that yeah. this God is the God, yeah. you know, and, and we're being very yeah. careful in our clarification of language here. Exactly. As Joe doesn't, he doesn't care. He's just like, well, everything's a, you know, this could be God, this could be God without yeah. any real It sounds like, yeah, as long as it's a, a personal and maybe not even a personal being, like, as long as it's something that's higher than man, we should call it a God. That's what it sounds like. I don't know yeah. if that's actually what he means, but that's that's the impression I had, at least was was getting from what he was saying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like the, at this point, this becomes speculation on my part because he is Eastern Orthodox and they have the doctrine of theosis. I don't know if this is like part of that and support of that or like that just flows from Eastern Orthodox thinking or whatever. But it really does definitely seem to to 
be undermining in the way it speaks about the fact that God is the only God. Right. Um, and that, and that, at that point it becomes very dangerous, um, which this, this whole thing, I, I'll probably talk about it at the end, but this whole thing is just absolutely horrible in terms of communicating <laughs> actual truth about the Bible. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, the capital this table G. is a child of the That's Bible, fine. and that means we don't like to call many things God. Right. I'm, I, I guess my objection well, was whether we call them gods or not, they have a proclivity to act like deities. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's so, the biblical view of idols. Though, yes, it? yes. Yes. Well, Powers but it's, in it's, which we're making a... But, it, but it's deeper than that in some sense, because you could think of an idol as just an arbitrary human construction. But what I would say instead, it's no, not. It's, yeah. it's the raising of a principality to the highest place. And right. so you say, well, my God is Priapus, let's say. Yeah. And many people say that now. In yeah, fact, sure. it's almost mandatory to say that. So but less than the highest place. Right. Because yeah. right. Well, it's in God. A, yes. You could imagine yes. demonic agencies being yeah. recognized by Satan. So like there, there is an element of truth in saying that, well, these, these idols, they have existence of themselves and they've been raised to a spot that they're not and they're acting like gods. Um, I don't know, but like, I, I don't even like the sort of the way that's put. What did you, what did you think about that? So he's kind of, so the, the gentleman to his left, I think is, is right on point. You know, we're, we're taking those, those deficiencies in us or whatever the case might be. And we're making, we're, we're, you know, expressing them in idolatry. Um, it seems that, uh, Jordan is trying to go beyond that and actually work the other way around and say that it's an influence upon the person because those things are somehow deities and you're raising them to the highest place, right? So you're you're transcending those concepts and it's working down on the person. That seems, and then that's where the whole conversation in demonic agency comes into play and opening yourself up to demonic forces and all that. So it it seems that um, he's kind of working backwards where we're idolatry is a working out of our corruption and projecting uh maybe human qualities like you know you have the, the god of fertility and certain which i think is what priapus is a roman god i think having to do with fertility if i remember correctly but the the point is that it's an expression of human emotion of human actions and i think that there is kind of this um uh, jordan is just taking that principle and elevating it to a place he shouldn't be He's working backwards. We we would we would never say that anger. I, I don't understand why those he would say that those things in and of themselves have some kind of human or some kind of personal quality. They act like gods. Um, I I just don't know where he jumps there. He doesn't even really explain why necessarily. It just he seems to just take that leap. They act like they have a proclivity to act like deities. I I don't know where that why like, he jumped to that conclusion. the only reason you could say that is if they if like somebody's <clears throat> controlled by their anger right they're yeah they're controlled by their anger they're enslaved to it but not everybody is right right um which i, I assume in prager brings understand. that out later he says well i have the ability to control my anger i have the choice to not do it so if you say <clears throat> that you know i'm controlled by my anger and that's some force working outside of me then how am i responsible for my anger that has to be something coming from me right and again, to Prager's credit, he's he's hitting on the right issues. Um, but yeah, we, we would never say that. again, sinful anger, at least is a privation. It doesn't have any substance. 
Um, so it can't be said to work on us in that way. It's a corruption of the good, which is, you know, what we see, what actually exists. God created it. It's a corruption of that. Uh, it's a deprivation or, or a, you know, depravity of, of the good thing. <clears throat> so it, it can't work on you in a way a deity can. It doesn't have those proclivities. It doesn't have any existence in that way. Um, so Jordan is trying to work from the top down. I, this could also be another question. Be love to ask him, what do you think of human depravity? Are humans really evil at that point? If in fact there is this deity called anger working on a person. And I think that's to Prigger's point about responsibility. Am I really responsible if I can, if I can't control it and it's just working on the outside in me? That's, that's an interesting, that would be a really right good question to ask him. Cause that's it almost implies like, point. okay, am I really, am I really evil? Am I really even doing anything evil or is it just an outside force working upon me? Yeah, because I mean, that's that's the way sort of certain people sort of think about Calvinists, right? Like God is sitting there. We're, we're really good, but he's making us evil. You know, that's right. the caricature of Calvinism. But um, you do sometimes the way people speak about sin, that it is just like this thing that's outside of me that's forcing me to do right. bad things. It's not. Um, which, I mean, in a sense, we are sl slaves to sin. That's that's true. But right. sin is inside us. It's not external to right. us. It's a corruption of you. It's not something floating around in the ether somewhere that just pokes its yeah. finger at you and makes you do something bad. It's a corruption of the good of you as, you know, materially existing good. Uh, you are. It's a corruption of that. And so that's why we can say God is not the author of sin because he doesn't create anything he, you know, at least actively decrees is good and it creates is good. Um, so those things cannot have any kind of any kind of real substantial existence. And that's a, this conversation gets into, you know, what about the sovereignty of God and what what does this mean about God's um God's control of the world. Are you a deist or do you believe the God is involved in the world? I mean, it just creates this opens a door into all kinds of other different discussions. Um, but this is, you know, this is why you have to, when you look at men like Peterson, who say a lot of good things in other areas from a practical perspective can be so dangerous because of the influence he has in those other areas. Um, when he's is, when he starts talking theologically, he gets it gets very dangerous. You have to be very discerning when you listen to him and and his compadres, because most of I, I can't think of one person that he uh, rubs shoulders with that is a Bible believing, gospel embracing Christian. I can't think of one person. They're either other they're either Jews who reject the gospel entirely and and don't believe in Jesus at all, or they're uh, you know, Eastern Orthodox or whatever the case might be, but I don't see any um, Orthodox believing Christians that Jordan would closely align himself with. Um, so, I mean, it, it just, you see all these problems. And that's not to say don't listen to him, um, but listen with discernment. Be, listen very, very carefully. When he says something theological, stop and just, and really analyze what he's saying, because likely it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, and the fear is that there's there's plenty of people out there that have heard him say good things, like on personal responsibility, right? Which is sorely lacking. Yes. In in Western culture, responsibility. Person, yeah, like oh, that you actually do need to take personal responsibility things for things. Yeah. Or the his uh, his uh, stuff with transgenderism and the the pronoun stuff, right? Obviously, uh, we would agree with a, a lot that uh, he says, but. 
he's he's not like just because he's good in those areas i fear that there's a lot of people that then just blindly accept what he says about the bible even though it has no basis in, in reality they accept what he says about religion because he says good things on other areas right. and that's uh that's that's very unfortunate because people might thinking they're getting good teaching they might listen like here here he is he's a well-known person and he's got an array of uh of uh scholars or, or well-known people on this panel and they're going to talk about exodus so i'm going to learn what exodus teaches whereas you listen to the discussion and there's very little talking about uh the text of the bible at all but you're not coming away with good solid teaching not to say that everybody on that that panel isn't a believer obviously mm -hmm. especially the one guy trying to emphasize monotheism i very much appreciate but um you're not getting good things out of this out of this series as far as i've seen every single clip i've seen you're not getting good things you're you're hearing a lot of people talk about their opinions about bible related topics and that's it that isn't a bible study that's right. not delving into the text <laughs> at all um and jo is jordan peterson even qualified to talk about the bible? no i would say <laughs> no i would say no the bible presents its own standards for those that are uh able to teach right um, and Jordan Peterson doesn't fit those standards. He's not even a believer. Um, so, yeah, no, but, uh, it's a it's a shame. I mean, this this happens all the time. People are elevated to positions they shouldn't be as authorities that they're, they're really not in. And this is one of them where like, well, Peterson has a high, higher view of the Bible. Therefore, you should be listened to when this is just not the case. Yep. Yeah. So. I guess the biggest takeaway from our discussion today is just listen to him and men like him with discernment. You know, yeah. don't take the, everything they say at face value, especially, uh, particularly on theological issues. Just yeah. look at it with, don't take it with a grain of salt, analyze it and make sure that it is, uh, it's biblical. Um, so yeah. And, and unfortunately in the conservative world, you just find a mishmash of people there. They, they're con they believe in the Constitution. They believe, you know, the pro-life. It depends on who you talk to in the conservative movement. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're against homosexuality, blah, blah, blah. But they their theology is way over here somewhere or they don't have one um, in the in the biblical sense. So you just have to be really, really careful um, and be very discerning um, with what we're talking about. Sometimes it's easier to you know to point out the liberals than it is the the false converts among the conservatives just because there's they tend to be so intertwined and they have just enough theological truth to get themselves in um but they're not as overtly um against these things as some others might be so you just have to be really discerning so we hope yeah. you know this this has been helpful today and and uh you know if you well, listen to peterson that it kind of gets the wheels turning a little bit mm -hmm. Before before you end, just like last week, I'll I'll have something additional. Yeah, to say. yeah, sure. Um, uh, for those that want to know what the actual purpose of the Bible is, right? Not that it's not that this is a bunch of stories that tell us things about the human condition, but the the purpose of the Bible, it's in its entirety. Even the Old Testament is to tell us about Christ, mm -hmm. Christ the God Man, both truly God, the one true God. And taking on to himself, assuming uh, uh, a human nature um, so that he is, was truly man and going to that cross for sin and dying on that cross uh, to be the penalty or to take the penalty for sin upon himself. 
and um, living a righteous life so that for the one that puts their faith in him, their trust in him, not looking to their own works to be right with God for how could we do that? We've already, we're already sinners, but um, putting their trust in him, their sin is, uh, has been atoned for and they're, um, they're accredited with Christ's righteousness. So that is, that is the true message of the Bible. The Old Testament points forward to it constantly and the New Testament reveals it plainly. So that, that is the true message of the Bible. And we pray that you would, uh, for anyone that doesn't know Christ, that you would, uh, uh, realize that truth, that you study the Bible and see that truth and believe it. Amen. Amen. I think that's a great way to end. To believe in, in the gospel and turn to Jesus Christ. He is our only hope um, and can help save us from you know the foolish teachings like we see being taught here uh, by Peterson. So leave with the gospel and, and be discerning as a Christian um, with what you hear out there, especially in the conservative in the conservative world um, from theological matters. But thank you for joining us today. Um, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Take care.